We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And he laid it out very well using numbers and such 
And it's a very clear argument. The one thing I will disagree with it, even though I thought it was really, really well done, is he neglected the part about unintended consequences, where Drew Brees holds out for a year. It sort of dim, it sort of damages his brand that he has worked really hard to create over these final, these last six years. And if he holds out for a year, no matter what he says, no matter how it goes, no matter how well he tries to play, if he holds out for a year, his brand is damaged. His endorsement deals, I can't see how, if he holds out a year, how they wouldn't be affected. So he, that can't be a plus. And just, if you hold out a year, I don't know necessarily that it's guaranteed he'll come back the exact same. I know you say maybe and probably, but to me, I just don't see him holding out for the year. I see it much more likely that he'll sign the tender and be kicked, and it'll be a bad thing for the Saints locker room that Drew Brees didn't get taken care of. Oh, I mean, look at uh, Carson Palmer was sitting out good to him. I mean, you know, I mean, obviously he was on Drew Brees' level, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I – I think the further, the longer this goes, um, the more nervous I get, obviously. Yeah. And, and, and I, I think all of us, the Saints fans are kind of getting to that point where we're like, do we, do we know Drew Brees as well as we think we do? You know, and, and I, I do think there's a sense of, of, you know, he's starting to get questioned a little bit. And obviously, um, a lot of fans want the Saints to step up to the plate and just give him what he wants. Um, but part of me is like, well, you know, what the Drew Brees I know, you know, we just, kind of give us maybe a little bit of a discount and get the deal done as quickly as possible and, and get it behind them. Um, so I don't know. You, you know, I mean, obviously, July 15th, you know, and we, we've talked about this numerous times, that, that's the date, you know, and, and something needs to be done by then. And if it's not, then it's over. And and really the only choice is at that point, if July – once July 15th passes, he either signs a one-year deal for that franchise tender or he doesn't play and he sits out. And there's there's no um there's no alternative. Yeah. So um so you know if it reaches that point then it's, then it's really fifty fifty and, and that's a disaster. You know, that, that that's the worst case scenario. So obviously there's still some time, you know, we still got about a month and a half and we're still hoping that something happens before then. But if it gets to that point, um then, you know, the question is, does Breeze, you know, and you mentioned some of the things that would be negative, but, you know, I, I also think Breeze, you know, as much as, you know, his family's number one and, you know, he cares about his, um, his family first and foremost, um, you know, he's such a competitor and he cares about his teammates, he cares about the city. Um, I just don't know that he's passing on that one-year deal when, you know, I mean, he essentially played on a one-year deal last year. Um, and, you know, I'm sure he didn't love that either. I'm sure he would have loved have been extended before the beginning of the year to not yeah. have to worry about it. Um, yeah. But, but, uh, but it, it certainly concerns. Well, I mean, I think the whole giving the Saints a discount and that sort of thing, that window closed when the Saints didn't get this deal done a year ago, two years ago. I mean, they knew what they had in Drew Brees after 2006. Okay? Like, it was a it was a stone. It was a fact that he was a top five quarterback after 2006. Now, I'm not saying after one year the Saints extended, but they've known this whole six years what he is. So for them not to get it done after the fourth year 
or after the fi- or after the fifty or whatever. The the longer it went and the closer that he got to free agency, the more Drew Brees said, you know what? If I get if I play this contract out, I have all the cards. So the chance for them to get a to to have gotten a deal and to got get in quote unquote the hometown discount was probably like after the fourth year where you go to him and you say, Drew, you've got two years left on the deal. How about we sign you for eighteen million? Then he's like, then you have to weigh it. He's like, well, I'm two years away from free agency. Yeah, I could get more, but two years, that's a, that's a long time. A lot could happen. I'm going to take safety and security, uh, and a little bit of discount because who knows what happens in that two years. I did injure my shoulder before, but once he got to within one year of having that contract expired, there was no way he was signing an extension. And why should he? He got much more leverage. So I think yeah no I I agree with you I, you know one thing I'll, I will say about this whole process is um, the Saints my big question is at what point does the organization um, reach a level in negotiations where they feel like they need to go to the public and throw Drew Brees under the bus well and, and I, I've got I've got I've got to hand it to them to this point they have stuck to their guns and they have said we are not discussing this with the media we're not making anyone privy to the information. Drew Brees finally reached that point a couple of weeks ago, and that was kind of a half-assed, um, you yeah. know, throwing the team under the bus. I mean, you know, he said that the, the contract negotiations were frustrating and that he wanted a deal done a long time ago. But then he kind of gave some qualifiers that it was complicated. And so, you know, he, it wasn't a full-on, I hate the Saints, I'm really mad at them. But, um, you know, he, for the first time he kind of expressed publicly that, um, things weren't going the way he wanted, and he was unhappy with the organization. But um, I, I think at some point, if they reach an impasse where the Saints are like, okay, we can't get this guy signed, at some point they've got to come out and say, we did everything we could. Drew's just being too greedy. Yeah. And, you know, as, as much goodwill as Drew Brees has in New Orleans, and we all know it's a lot, um, I, I, I kind of sense that the Saints, independent of Drew Brees, have a tremendous amount of goodwill as well. And well, um, it'll be interesting to see if they throw them under the bus later in the process. Well, And Drew's probably worried about this too, that you know, the city might turn on them a little bit. Well, I think that that is what I was – it's a perfect segue because that was my next question, question to you is I personally am going to get really worried and go to DEFCON level infinity – if when you get in that last week, Andrew, if you start having the Saints leaking hard numbers to a contract, which which like you said, the Saints never do under Loomis' thing is I don't talk about contracts. And he numbers might come out, but it isn't from the Saints. So if you start if you start hearing leaked numbers from the Saints on Drew Brees' contract, that will have me worried. And another thing that will have me worried, if I start hearing le- leaks from Drew Brees' side of, I'm not signing that tender. Because it seems to me that to p- if he's going to play the I'm holding out for the year card, you play that card to get maximum effect. You play that pre-July 15th. You don't play that after. You play that before to let everybody know, I'm not signing that tender. Either you give me a long-term deal or I'm sitting out. And that's when I'll... To, to come up with a better term, start shitting my pants because then you'll have the Saints going public and Breeze 
right at the 24th hour, then I think all bets are off. It's panic time. What specifically will have you panic when we get to the July 12th, 13th? What specific thing would really make you nervous? Uh, well, uh, you know, I, I will give um, I will give Loomis credit. You know, and looking at Colton, who was signed at the eleventh hour, and mm-hmm. I mean, I, it's, it's it's uncanny how much Loomis tends to work best with a gun to his head. Yeah. And, and he, I mean, that, that's always kind of been his way of doing things. Is you know, he will wait till the last minute if it takes the team half a million dollars because, um, you know, that's part of why he's been successful. So. Uh, I'm, I'm sure that that, that um, policy and that way of doing business has bitten him at times. Um, and obviously, this for this not to work out would be the, the biggest uh, mistake of all time for, for the franchise. So, um, but I, you know, I, I'm, I'm worried now, and I think with each passing day, I, I get a little bit more worried. But I think if you're asking me one specific thing that were to happen. Um, I think if it's any time before July 15th, if the Saints say anything or release any information to basically make Drew Brees look bad, um, then I'll be terrified because, number one, um, I, I would worry that it would sour Drew Brees and say, you know what, yeah. fuck you guys, I'm out of here. Um, or, I, yeah, I'm not going to sign this shit. And number two, um, I'm worried because that, I know that's not how they roll, the Saints. So if they do that, I know that they're playing their last card, and they they have gotten the desperation. And they're dug, and they, and not only that, they're dug they're dug in, because they're like yeah. you say, they're out of their comfort level. That means that, that means they're they're dug in, and that means it goes all the way upstairs to the big man Benson, where the Saints are saying, "This is the amount we're paying. That's it." That yeah, they're putting they're, they're going all in on black, and it's you know. If it hits red, then we're fine. Yeah, I think the one thing that that I keep thinking, and maybe it's just me trying to have the positive outlook, is is that they say that they're a couple million dollars apart. And to me, my hope is that Drew Brees has a number in mind, not what he's saying he wants from the Saints right now, but they have a number in mind that they're willing to go to. And the Saints have a number in their mind that they know – they're going to have to go to. And neither one of them wants to sort of push that number out there until the last week because on either of their ends, they think if, if, I, if I come off my number, that makes me look weak and the other side will just want more and will think of that as a baseline. You know? So that, yeah. that's my hope is that they know they have to meet in the middle but nobody sort of wants to step towards the other party, and they figure, you know what? He's already missed. He's already missed the OTAs. It's no big deal. We'll just wait it out. Um, well, they're definitely in a staring contest. And, yeah. And both sides are waiting for the other to blink first, which is not good. Um, you know, another thing that makes me a little nervous about all this is the endeavors that Breeze keeps pumping on his Twitter account, and that he's. Uh, and we know he's an entrepreneur. We know he's a businessman, but um, clearly he's not focused on football right now. And I'm not saying he should be, um, based on what's going on. But he's also very focused on setting himself up financially, building these businesses, creating these startups. And 
that kind of sounds to me like a guy that's planning to maybe be out of football for a year. And 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 honestly, I I, I don't doubt for one second that this is all calculated and it's all sending a subtle message to the fans that hey, I'm I'm setting up these little uh, you know cash cows here and there yeah. um, to have some some revenue stream coming in just in case. Yeah, and I and I don't think look the Saints. Mickey Lewis has said, look, if I don't get this deal done, they'll run me out of town on a rail. So he knows how big the stakes are. And the stakes are big for him personally, too. Look, I've always said about Mickey Lewis, and I mean this is the highest compliment uh, for old-time Saints fans out there that remember Bill Q. Herrick as GM. Oh, God. Mickey Loomis, Mickey Loomis is Bill Q. Herrick with the ability – to hire the right people. I mean, Bill Q. Herrick was really good with the salary cap and watching Benson's money. And Benson really, really liked Q. Herrick. He said it was the hardest thing he had to do when he had to fire Dick and he fired everybody. It was really hard for him to fire Q. Herrick because he liked Q. Herrick because Q. Herrick made him money. But the problem with Bill Q. Herrick was his hires as far as personnel, people to run personnel, the Ditka hire. They were all terrible hires. Mickey Loomis, he is just really, really good at hiring the pers- the college personnel people, the pro personnel people, the, the, the cat people assistant to him, hiring Sean Payton. I mean, he's brilliant at it. So he's the best of both worlds. But at the same time, he knows that the big man is always looking at the bottom line. So he knows how important this is and – I think with all the bounty stuff weighing on him, he knows that he's got to nail this. Even more so than if the bounty stuff hadn't happened, it would still be important. But I think because of all the chaos, it's even more so that he's got to get this right. As far as for for, for, for selfish reasons, for himself, so he can be secure with the Saints. And he knows it, and it's, you know... um, it's a lot of pressure, and it's easy for us to say, well, just, it's, you know, it's not our money. It's not our bottom line. And it's a it's a big thing, uh, obviously, for Mickey Loomis. And don't, I, I think sort of fans sort of, sort, of, sort of miss that angle of it. No, I, I agree with you, Ralph. And another thing, um, well, first of all, Bill Coherick, I mean, that, that <laughs> name is something I haven't thought about. Come over. Yeah, I think I've just erased it from my memory, and, and frankly, at this point, um, saying the words midget porn um, sounds more appealing to me than, than Bill Coherick. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, Loomis, I, I think the main thing with Loomis is, um, you know, he, he knows he's got to get this deal done. But you know what What kind of freaks me out is, you know, obviously we talked about the horn at the beginning of this broadcast and um, or this podcast, and, and the first thing that, I noticed when they got the first pick was a picture that was tweeted by the Horns' Twitter handle, and it's a picture of Benson, Monty Williams, and Loomis standing right there with, like, a jersey of Monty Williams holding a Hornets jersey with a one on it. So I'm, like, thinking to myself, okay, Loomis has got a month to do this deal. He just got promoted to basically – handling operations for, or at least having a big part in handling operations for the Hornets as well. He's hanging out in New York celebrating the fact that they just had the first pick. Shouldn't he be somewhere <laughs> locked in some basement in a cellar, um, you know, 
crunching numbers and, and calling Drew Brees' agent. So, um, you know, I, I mean, you know, every GM has distractions, and you know, obviously, I'm not saying this guy can't have a life, but um, but that that makes me a little nervous. I mean, you know, obviously, you know, there there that tells me that the sense of urgency just isn't there right now. Yeah, and I think it could be too. Um, and Dave touched on it was, you know, if Drew Brees is trying to get a ruling to where he's saying, look, this is the second time I've been franchised, so my tag, the, the salary for the franchise tag should be higher. If he's trying to get that ruling, it may be a case of Condon isn't going to do anything until they get that ruling whenever it comes down, maybe hopefully before July 15th, they may be waiting on that ruling to where it doesn't matter. They're not they're not going to do any negotiating until the NFL says, yeah, your salary cap number should be $19 million and not 16 It may be that Condon's waiting for that, so there's nothing that – there's nothing that – literally there's nothing he can do until that ruling comes down. Well, the NFL uh, counsel or, you, you know, ha- has to rule on that and – who knows what their timetable is, and and their timetable isn't necessarily um, the same time Drew Brees' time. Yeah, the Saints are Drew Brees' timetable. So, you know, I mean, they they could easily say, oh well, it's going to take us a while to interpret this, and you know, if you need to know by July 15th, too bad, you know, and you you you, you interpret it how you feel like you need to, but we'll give you the answer at some point later down the road. But um, I, honestly. I think it's a cop-out by Condon and Breeze, and, and that whole situation kind of pisses me off because I realize part of it is, is the framework of a deal and it's a business, and, you know, you, you want to be given certain parameters so you know what you want to work within and you know what you want to shoot for. Um, but at the end of the day, I, I just feel like forget what, what you can ask for based on how much you would get, based on the franchise tag, blah, blah, blah. At the end of the day, Bree should be focused on what what can I make that's a ridiculous amount of money that'll make me comfortable and happy, but allow my team to still be competitive and allow my team to still be able to pull funds into areas so that um, you know I'm never in a position where my team can't get good players because of my my contract. And so that that whole thing kind of pisses me off because I just feel like. You know, the parameters of this deal, I realize it gives them leverage, but at the end of the day, I, I, just, I just don't think that's a healthy thing for Breed to be focused on. I think, you know, if he's got a number in his head that he wants and the Saints want something different, um, you know, I, I wish they would just meet in the middle and just get it done. And obviously that's not going to happen. I mean, at this point they've gotten this far, it's going to go to July. I think we all know that. Yeah. Um, but – uh, some technicality, you know, that Breeze is hanging on to makes me really uncomfortable because I just feel like that shouldn't matter that much to him. Yeah, I mean, I do think, I do think it matters to him. I think, I think him being involved in the union matters to him, and I think he feels an obligation to set that bar higher. No um, question. And you know, I think that's a big deal. I mean, look, when this con, the contract when it gets done. Before you know, if it gets done on July fifteenth or whatever, he's going to be the highest paid quarterback, and it's going to be the biggest contract in NFL history. I would imagine. I can't. I can't see it not being. So I mean, that's that's important to him because 
he looks at it as like, hey, I'm going to set the bar for Aaron Rodgers and other quarterback, you know, other quarterback uh, coming down the line. Um, the thing is, I just don't, I don't see a scenario, Andrew, where the Saints have a successful year if he does not have a long-term deal. Even if he doesn't, if he doesn't get a long-term deal and he signs that one-year tender, I don't think that's a good thing to have Drew Brees unhappy without Sean Payton in the building. And the Saints are desperately going to need him to step up and fill a leadership void. He's going to have to do more than he's done. And I don't care what the Saints say about, hey, we've got it figured out. We're going to replace Sean Payton. It's going to be a group effort. Somebody is going to have to fill that fill that void of Sean Payton's leadership when the Saints hit a rough patch. And to in my mind, it's got to be Breeze if the Saints are going to have a successful year. And I don't think that's going to be completely possible if he's playing on the one-year tender. A good point. Um, you know, I, I'd like to believe that Breeze is a professional, and regardless of his contract status, I mean, he, he did he did a good job, admittedly, of that this year. Um, once the season started, it was kind of announced that, hey, we're not going to get a contract done until the end of the year. We don't want that distraction. And he, he kind of focused. Now, at that point, he was playing on a contract year. So there, there was, of course, the motivation mm-hmm. of performing to, um, you know, get a good contract the following year, get an extension. But, um, you know, that, that, that's a similar situation that he would have, uh, if he were to sign a one-year tender, you'd be in a situation that's the exact same for this coming year. Um, and, you know, he's thinking about his future and, and his long term. But, you know, I, yeah, you know, I, I think there, there's, there's certainly a risk that he's bitter, that he resents the Saints. If he ends up playing on a franchise tender, if he agrees to sign it, which would be a, a big upset, um, he's certainly going to be pissed. He's not going to be happy about it. And, you know, I, I think if there's anyone that's going to be professional and, and put that behind them and focus on the task at hand, it's probably Breeze. Um, but there's something about a guy that's totally committed when things are going wrong. And, and you know, if, if God forbid something happens, this guy starts to go down, the guys get hurt. Uh, Saints are a victim of a missed field goal and some bad calls, and they get to a point where, um, you know, it's a rough season. Um, you know, Drew Brees, uh, you know, every human has a breaking point. Yeah. I, I, you know, I worry that. He'll get to a point where he's like, you know what, this this shit isn't worth it because these yeah. guys aren't don't even care about me, you know. Yeah. And if he, I don't know if he truly feels that way, but if he gets to a point where he feels that way, um, then you have to question how committed he's going to be for sure. Yeah, and I just think it's it's human nature for the rest of the locker room to go, they didn't take care of Drew, seriously, like everybody in that, everybody in that locker room. Drew, Drew Brees might act like one of the guys, and I'm sure he is a, from all intents. He's a good guy, and he mixes with, you know, he's friends with everybody, and he's their leader. And he might not act like he's superior to everybody, like some athletes do. But everybody with the Saints, if you're on one, are, are you on that? If you're on that roster, you know that Drew Brees is the man, and he is the most important player of the franchise. And look, players talk about salary. They know about salary. They know who's making what. Um, it's just like at your workplace. 
you know? I mean, you think it's so different, but it's really not, and I just think it's a, I just think it's a bad, it's a, it, it's, it's a, it, it is, to, to my way of thinking, Andrew, it's like, it's like setting off a bomb in that locker room if they don't get him a long-term deal. The only question is, is the bomb going to go off and detonate your whole year? And you, you, by not getting him a long-term deal, the Saints would be putting themselves at that risk. And I just, yeah, you know, um, it, it, you know, um, I remember when Sammy Knight, who at the time, you know, when he played for the Saints when he was in his prime, was one of my favorite players and just, just so much fun to watch as a defender, and a playmaker, and a ball hawk. But I remember when he left the Saints, um, he kind of had some parting shots and. You know, that, that you always hate that. You always hate that when guys that you like to watch and guys that, that are good players, they, they kind of leave on negative terms. And to be fair, they should stay out to, the door, you know. To be fair to Sammy Knight, they did chase him off and replace him with Tabucky Jones. So he did have a fair point. What a god-awful <laughs> move that was. Yeah, that will go down in history, <laughs> you know, out there with Jonathan Sullivan and some of the biggest bonehead moves. But, um... But, you know, I, I just remember he had some parting shots, and one of his comments um, when he left the team was, you know, you look around the locker room and you see um, you see that they're not taking care of their guys. And, he, you know, there was a laundry list of players that he named. Um, you know, there's Chris Naoli, and, and I, I can't remember who all the players yeah. were back then. Um, it's been a while now. But, like, Mark Fields and Winfrey Tubbs, you know, who were good players. Yeah. Um, they were part of that core that the Saints just didn't pay to keep. And you know, so he, he he named a number of players that didn't didn't stick around, and he said, you know, you look around and they're just not taking care of us. So, um, you know, of course I'm going to leave, and I'm you know I'm going to go to a team that's going to pay to have a good player. And 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 um, I think that was kind of the the mentality and, and kind of the culture of the Saints at that time. Is you know the, the players didn't have a lot of faith in, in upper management, and um, therefore they didn't respect the team that much. And um, you know, when you've got that in the back of your mind and, and you know, that starts, that yeah. cancer starts to spread and infect the locker room of, hey, you know, this team, they're not going to look out for you, you know, so you've got to look out for yourself, you know, and so it sounds like, okay, well, I've got a sprained ankle. These yeah. guys aren't going to take care of me. I'm not yeah. going to, I'm not going to play unless I'm 100%, you know, yeah. and I'm, I'm not going to play through this injury because, you know, if I make it worse, then they're going to throw me out on the street. So, um, yeah. and, and, it's a, so anyway, the Lemus' credit, and like you said, you kind of talk about that shift from Kahara to Lemus. Um, well, you know, obviously there was uh, Rick Mueller in between, or Randy Mueller in between, but, um, you know, that shift in focus and that, you know, the, the culture has completely changed. And you look at the guys they've taken care of. And, you know, they, you know Joe Horn, Darren Sharper, I mean, they've let some guys go that were productive. Um, but, uh, I mean, you look at the Deuce contract, and you start, start all the way back to that. Um, when Deuce at the, at the time, you know, I think got like the number one or number two best contract in history for a running back. Yeah. And, um, you know, obviously they, they gave a lot of money to Breeze with his first contract, even though he was injured and you know, they were building a core there. And then the last few years, you look at Lance Moore and Pierre Thomas and Roman Harper and, you know, core guys like that that they've taken care of by giving them, um, yeah. you know, Jari Evans got the biggest guard contract in NFL history. So, you know, Colston got a big deal this offseason. So, um, so that's really changed. And, and, you know, you would hate for Breeze to kind of turn the tables back to the Saints of old and what we used to experience where, 
um, you know, that, that kind of mentality infected the locker room because I think right now it's the opposite. I think it's really healthy, and, and the players have not only a lot of faith in, in the management, but they all, you know, that they'll take care of them. But they, there's also a lot of respect there because sometimes they do make hard decisions, but I think the players are buy into the system because they think, well, Loomis knows what he's doing, and, you know, he's manipulating the cap, and, he, he you know, he's making yeah. chess moves here and there that ultimately are going to give us a really good chance to win. And there's a lot of faith in, in the moves that he's making. And, um, you know, not not doing this Breeze deal the right way, I think, takes a huge hit on the amount of respect he has and, and the belief that the players have in what he's trying to put together. Yeah, and I think, you know, the Saints really – Carl Nix is the first big-time player in free agency that the Saints have lost in about a decade. I mean, Randy from Randy Mueller to Mickey Loomis, really any player that the Saints wanted to keep, they kept. And they've had some misses on guys that they, they paid Charles Grant to keep him. They probably should have let him walk. But they don't have they don't have many guys that you can say the Saints wanted him to stay, he didn't, and they miss him. It's just and and that's what it makes me think like God, they they basically kept almost every guy they wanted to keep, and to think yeah. that they would screw it up with Drew Brees, the one guy that they can't let walk, you know. And like we said, look, Mickey Loomis, he's in one of the quietest things in even in New Orleans because of all the bounty stuff and, and, and the, the bugging and all that, it sort of gets missed. The Saints off season, as far as acquisition, has been fantastic. a dream. It's been fantastic. It's a dream scenario. When we were talking about free agency, which seems like a thousand years ago because of all this all the shit this off season. I mean, if you would have laid it out this way. We would have said, that's amazing, and how the hell can he do it and not sign Breeze? You know, he did it the exact opposite way that we thought possible. We Everybody thought he's got to sign Breeze first to figure out what he has cap-wise and get relief by giving Breeze a long-term deal, and then they can make moves. That's why everybody was so panicked when they didn't sign Breeze before free agency we all thought, oh, my God, they're screwed with the cap because Breeze is going to be $16 million. They're not going to have any room. How are they going to sign anybody? And they don't have a number one pick. Um, but they signed, I think, a dozen linebackers. Um, they signed a defensive tackle. You know, they re-signed Colston. So it, it's worked out perfect. So um, I just think uh, Mickey Loomis – before I write the column ripping him, I just always remember the dude gets it done. Yeah, he's got a plan. And, you know, yeah. obviously when we were we, we were freaking out about the cap yeah. thing. We were like, well, how are they going to do this? What are they going to do? And, you know, Loomis had a plan all along. And, you know, he kind of unveiled it, you know, slowly and at, at the last minute when we least expected it. But um, I have no doubt that he's got a plan for this brief situation too. And at the 11th hour – if I if I know Loomis, you know I I think at the eleventh hour, if, if the other side doesn't blink, he's smart enough to know that okay, yeah. you know here we are, and you know 
tomorrow he the chance to give him a long term deal is done and I'm not letting that happen. So here you go, Breeze. Here's what yeah. you wanted. You got it. Yeah. The final thing I wanna I wanna touch on, Andrew, and I don't know if you read um Grandmaster Wang's post about the the local New Orleans media and how they covered the bounty scandal. Um and I've had some great bloggers. You've done some great work. The angry Hudat, who's writing for Dave now, um, has done some good the Gerard Street blog has done some great work on it. Um but I think the one thing that they all wrote that the New Orleans media didn't cover didn't cover it hard enough. What is your opinion of how the New Orleans media has sort of covered Bounty Gate? Do you feel like they just took, you know, most of the local bloggers have said, hey, they, they've sort of taken what the NFL has said and not dug any further to sort of expose actually what happened. They haven't revealed any new information, so to speak. You know, I did read Wayne's article, and I have to say um, it's fantastic. And any any blogger, any Saints fan, any anyone that's just interested in in kind of this question that you're asking me um, needs to read that because it, yeah. you know, Wang chronologically, you know, he, he took a lot of time to put that together, yeah. and there, there's a lot of facts that um, and a lot of comments and tweets that came over a period of time, and he saved all that stuff and. You can tell that it was really a running article for for months, and yeah. um, so you know, and anything Wayne does usually is quite verbose and and the pithy and 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 all that stuff. But you, you know, obviously you get all of that plus the uh, the references to uh, pop culture, which, which are always fun. But um, at its core, you know, it, it's it's really um, something you can sink your teeth into, and it's it's great information. So everyone should check that out. But um, and you know his his blog is moosedenied dot com, um, but um, you know it's interesting. And the point he makes is that, uh, like you said, the media just didn't really cover this. Didn't didn't really get the local um, you know flavor and inside information that we're used to um, from some of their stuff. And, and yeah, they kind of took the NFL reports and AP reports at face face value and were basically digesting it and then spitting it back out to us in different language, but essentially giving us the same points. And, um, yeah, I felt the same way. I felt like the media, the local media, were, were sheep a little bit um, in this situation. And, um, you know, I know this has all been real hush-hush, and I know that the, the NFL has, has kept a lot of evidence, and they're not sharing anything, and the Saints are talking. And um, I know that's been a huge source of, frustration for the times to come um, in their time of dealing with the Sean Payton era Saints is, um, you know, Sean's policy and Mickey's policy is we're not giving you anything. And you're, you're not going to be allowed in here any more than we have to allow you yeah. in. And we're not going to talk to you or give you any information any more that we need to. And, and they're, they're not leaking anything. And, you know, they don't have a confidant. And, you know, you know Triplett is, asking assistant coaches and Jeff Duncan and just come on, give me a solid, give me something, give me something. And um, to the Saints' credit, they're not spilling the beans on anything, really. Um, and, I mean, the only information that the the national media or the local media has really gotten on any of this stuff is from ex-disgruntled employees that have been fired. Yeah. So, um, so no, I, I do kind of think it's a piss-poor job. I mean, I can't really blame them because – that's the Saints' organizational strategy and philosophy, and I'm not sure that anyone um, was ever going to crack that nut. 
as, as a media member because they just simply weren't going to allow it. Um, but that being said, um, you know, over time when you're in media and you're in the same facility every day, you make relationships. Um, and, you know, the, I, yeah, I, I just feel like, you know, everyone's outraged that, you know, the Times Picayune is going to three, you know, publications a week. And I just feel like if they're not really giving us anything special or anything um, unique, um, compared to what we can read on ESPN or on CNN or whatever, um, then what's the point? You know, they're obviously yeah. not earning the keep. Yeah, I think the the one thing there's a couple of things. I I thought the the Wang art the Wang article was brilliant. And as a person who writes, when you write an article, when you're recapping a Saints game and you're giving your opinion, you can come up with an idea for a column. That's one thing to write. But when you write something like that, where Wang had to, like you say, keep track and keep all this, keep all these former tweets and, and, and keep it up chronologically, those things are really freaking hard to write. Like when I did with Hans from for Canal Street Chronicles, I did Who Dat History, and I would watch old Saints games and had to research what was going on those years for the Saints. I mean, it's fun, it's fun, but it's hard work because it's not just you sitting at the computer conjuring up something funny or, or witty or something. you got to dig into facts and stuff. So it was brilliantly done by Wang. The one yeah, thing you I, know what I... You know what I, what I um, equate that to? It's like, you know, Rush, where, where they write all these singles, you know, Tom Sawyer and Limelight yeah. and all. And so all these songs that you know. But then if you're a big Rush fan and you're, you're into the deep cuts, you know that 20-minute masterpiece that they created. Yeah. And that every, every Rush, like... Junkie knows that's their best song and that, that doesn't care about the hits as much. But that, that's kind of the article that Wayne put together. That yeah. you know, twenty twenty one yep. twelve rush overtures just had that ridiculous masterpiece that um, is never going to be appreciated because it's so hard to consume by the mass public. Um, but um, anyway, that yeah. that was Wang's masterpiece. Wang Wang is sitting somewhere when he listens to this. It, it, He'll be, he'll be he'll be smiling, but I'm sure I'll write something during the year that he'll hate, and he'll post a uh, he'll post a Mac he'll post a picture of of a maxi pad tampon box with uh, me in the headline, and it'll be good. So, and you'll need to respond with, "Hey, remember that time we were on the uh, yeah, exactly. your ass. yeah, exactly." But the one thing I will say in defense of the time, a couple of things in defense of the Times Picayune is. Is one, like you said, the Saints are on lockdown. And if you start digging around the Saints, they make your life miserable. Um, or they'll even chase you off and get you out of a job. Now, I know Kenny Wilkerson, he had a lot of other stuff going on. But the Saints really pushed hard to get him off of there because he was a pain in their ass. And so, so don't think that doesn't factor in the people covering the Saints. That's part of it. And also, look, I, I worked at two newspapers in 2007 and 2008. And that was four or five years ago, but everybody knew that the Internet was coming. And the day I got hired at the San Jose Mercury News, they didn't give me the tour and introduce me to everybody because they just cut 70 people that day. But the Internet was excluded from the layoffs. So paper people are for the last couple of years especially, have had their head down and looking over their shoulder, knowing what's going on. And I don't care who you are. Everybody at the Times-Picayune knew 
something was going to come down real soon. And it's really hard to go above and beyond your job when you know the axe might fall on you. And if you're Duncan or Triplet, why the hell are you going to go the extra mile for the Times Picayune to get a great story when A, they might whack you, and B, the Saints potentially will make your life miserable? Why not yeah, just. Good luck. Yeah, that's you, Serene. I mean, good luck finding another job once yeah. you're blackballed. Yeah. Exactly. Ex- ex- you know, I mean, I'm sure they could get another job at another paper or whatever, but I mean, listen. They're, I'm, I'm not saying they haven't done a good, solid job. They have. They do. I think Triplet does a really good job of covering the team. But if you're a human being, why are you going to put yourself through that for for what? For for a pat on the back from bloggers? For, for I mean, it's just it's not necessarily worth it. And I think that had a huge. I just believe that that probably had a huge impact on what the reporters where they were going where they were willing to, to dig. I mean, they got stonewalled, stonewalled, stonewalled. Well eventually you say, you know what? I'm just I've gotten everything I can get and oh by the way, I gotta worry about if I'm gonna have a job. So I've I've done I've done a good enough job. Whereas if, you know, the paper was secure and they weren't having to worry about layoffs and this and that. Maybe they get the edict from the people at the paper, hey, this is potentially the biggest story in the history of the NFL possibly. We want you to go above and beyond, and we're going to give you every resource, and we're going to back you up 100% if the Saints give you shit and make your job difficult. And Yeah, with- that just doesn't really happen in New Orleans. You know, and also, too, don't underestimate the fact that New Orleans is a one-paper town where Mike Triplett, he's got to get reports done to cover the Saints to get into the paper. If the Saints make his life miserable and make it to where he can't get his stuff done, um, there's no other paper to have his back. When I worked at the Mercury News, the Raiders got mad at, I forget, a smaller paper. Uh, maybe the Costa Coach of Times or something. They got mad at them because they were digging around and, and doing stuff on Al Davis and his, his son Mark that they didn't like. So they made it, they made that reporter's life. They tried to make it miserable. Well, you know what? The Chronicle and the Mercury News were like, "Hey Raiders, cut that shit out, or we're not covering you." Okay. So the Raiders are like, "Oh well, okay, because we need we need coverage in the papers." So okay. Where Times Picayune, they're it. So the Saints, in a sense, the Times Picayune might have a monopoly on readers, but the Saints, in a way, can kind of bully the Times Picayune because they're the only game in town. You know. Yep. So yep. I, I just think I just think it's it's the one thing that Wang left left out, and he even said it at the end of his piece. Hey, you know, all this stuff is going on in the paper. I I think. That was a little bit left out of his article. Um, but at the same time, I would have liked at least one of the columnists, DeShazer or Peter Finney, or one, somebody in the sports department that's a columnist to do what Florio said and beat the drum of say, hey, NFL, give us the goddamn evidence. Lay your cards on the table. Show us what you got. You keep telling us you have evidence, but you don't show it to us. I would have liked 
DeShazer or Finney or somebody to beat that drum. And I think a columnist at the Times Picayune could have done it, but for whatever reason, they chose not to. That's my yeah, big. And I, I think if, if you ask Lang, I think one comment that he would have about this is, you know, Duncan had some tweets that were conflicting, you know, over the course of, you know, the last month or two. Um, you know, he, he basically had times where he, he pleaded the fifth and, you know, I don't really have any information. And then at other times he threw out some, some, uh, comments of, hey, just trust us. The NFL's right. The Saints are wrong. You, you just got to believe us, you know. And then he, at other times he would tweet, you know, basically to the effect of he didn't know. Um, and so, you know, that, that was part of it, too. There were some inconsistencies in what they were reporting and putting out there um, that made, up, made made me feel and made, I think, Wang feel like they were kind of doing a poor job and, and not really giving a consistent message, which was confusing the issue even more. Yeah. It, 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 you know, I think what happened in this situation is the media, because the, the, because the accusations of the bounty were so just like over the top and salacious, the NFL, the NFL really did a brilliant job of sort of how they rolled it out. And nobody at the very beginning was like, this is just hearsay. Show me the evidence. Because what happened was the NFL rolled it out. Peyton and Loomis didn't say a goddamn word for about, a, I think, about a week or ten days. So there wasn't any pushback initially from anybody. And I think that really was – that allowed the NFL – to sort of set the narrative exactly how they wanted it. Whereas if they would have got pushback from Florio and different things earlier, I think it would have changed how people consume the story. But for, I would say, a good three weeks, Andrew, the NFL was just riding, shot, was riding roughshod, and really nobody was questioning anything. Well, I think that when it was initially revealed, people were so shocked and horrified that um, the NFL had a good amount of leeway with how they could treat um, the Saints and, and their upper management and their coaches. And um, so, you know, they were in a position of power. But, um, you know, Sean Payton doesn't have the NFLPA representation. And, um, you know, I, I mean, it got to a point where, was, you know, enough head started to roll and, and Goodell, you know, with the power that he has, it's kind of, um, you know, unquestioned and, you know, there's no, no really, no, no real other source of authority um, other than him. Um, I think that after a while, so many heads started to roll, it was like, okay, yeah. wait a minute. If you're going to decimate these guys this badly, you know, now, now it's starting to get excessive without real hard yeah. evidence, you know, and yeah. over time, obviously the, the, the the public and, and people just became uh, more desensitized to the story and more desensitized to what the Saints were guilty of. Um, and so, you know, after, I think after that initial surge and reaction, I think it, that was the big mistake really by Goodell. Cause if he had let the sleeping dog lie right there um, with the punishments to Peyton and Loomis and the people would have moved on, you know, the media would have moved on and, and he sure, sure would have been a big story. Um, but, I don't think the tables would have turned like they did. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think so too. Um, 
You know, Andrew, unfortunately, we've gone an hour, and we didn't get into uh, you and Kevin Held's uh, Twitter war with, with, with what's his Sean Pamphlin. We're going to get to yeah. it next week. We're going to have Kevin, and we're going to have you on, because it was a glorious way to spend, what was it on? It was on Friday night. I think it was a glorious way to spend Friday night. And Hans did yeoman's work of giving the play, of giving the recap, of doing the play-by-play. And I think the people want to know about it, so we're going to get into that next week, my friend. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> you know, it's funny because, I, you know, I, honest to God, I really started that as just, he made some comment about the media, and I made a sarcastic response of, but wait a minute, you you are part of the media, right, Jeff Duncan? And obviously that was tongue-in-cheek and I was being a dick. Um, but I really didn't expect a reaction, and I thought that was kind of going to be it. And I got kind of oh, like no. a – I kind of got a strong reaction from him, which I didn't expect and was shocked by. But I was like, okay, well, since he's responding to me, why don't I, um, you know, stoke the fire a little bit and dig a little bit deeper – and uh, anyway, that that kind of um, opened Pandora's box and, you know, blew up in my face. And next thing I knew, he was reacting pretty strongly. And at first, I was entertaining it. And then, you know, by the end of it, um, but anyway, we, we can talk about it more. Oh, uh, we will. Uh, yeah. Uh, we will. I'm sure I'm sure Mr. Hell will have strong opinions. Hopefully, he'll he'll be over his voice issues. Get well. Get well, Kevin, because we need we the, the people. And by the people, I mean me. I need a full... Twitter war recap because yeah I know that, Kevin will be able to do it much better justice than I would anyway I know all right <laughs> An- all right Andrew be well my friend until next week uh, be safe all right thanks bro. the NBA finals are heating up. Looking for hot takes on all the postseason action? The Old Man and the Three, presented by BMW, is the podcast to listen to for the ultimate finals coverage. Host and former NBA sharpshooter J.J. Redick not only has a plugged-in perspective on the action from his time in the league, but he's also announcing the games in real time for ESPN. J.J. has the ultimate insider point of view, and he's taking you along for the ride as he breaks down the best defensive schemes, dunks, and drives from each game. And speaking of incredible drives... There's no better place to tune into your new favorite podcast, The Old Man and the Three, than in a standard-setting BMW. Luxury meets power to create a wholly new driving experience. Push the limits this NBA season with the brand that set the ultimate standard, BMW, the ultimate driving machine. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret, like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. 
I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, Like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.